Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. This is an exciting week for the Jewish people. Uh, tomorrow night begins the Shabbos Project, the worldwide Shabbos, which uh, was conceived of not by uh, some Orthodox outreach rabbi trying to you know, hoodwink a bunch of Jews into becoming Shomer Shabbos, but rather this is a worldwide social experiment that was conceived of by a Wall Street Journal behavioral psychologist and columnist named Dan Ariely, who is a secular Israeli. This is the second year that it's in effect. Uh, I just wrote a piece about it earlier this week on Jew in the City about how this all happened and some of the stories of people whose lives have been changed from this worldwide social experiment. So you can check that out on JewInTheCity.com. Um, when I figure out who we're going to be interviewing on this show, there's not so much of a rhyme or a reason. I'm not really the most organized person, if you've ever heard me write or speak before. That's just not my thing. But today's show kind of came together nicely because there were two people who I was thinking of having on. And what I realized they both have in common is that they're Bali Chuva. They came to observance. Uh, you know, they weren't born uh, with it. And they're both kind of out of the box. They both... Um, kind of retained some of their interests or quirks or, you know, sort of atypical parts to themselves from their pre-observant life. And I think it's so fabulous um, to feature people like this because, number one, um, it's a good lesson for people who are growing in their observance to see that you don't need to be, you know, an in-the-box kind of uh, Torah Jew. You can be out of the box. And I think it's also good for the, the from from birth, for the people that are born and raised religious to see that it's okay for people to kind of go outside the lines in some places and, you know, do things themselves. That Even though we do have lines, we do have halacha, we do have strictures, there's still a, a lot of room for self self and self-expression. So the first guest that we're going to be talking to today, we've had on the show before, he's actually part of our team. He's uh, really one of my favorite writers on Jewish topics that I've ever seen. Uh, we're so fortunate to have Rabbi Jack Abramowitz as our Jew in the City educational correspondent. He's the editor of OU Torah at OUTorah.org. And um, <clears throat> among the many educational initiatives he's created over the years, is the Orthodox Union's Nachyomi, a daily chapter of study followed by thousands worldwide. Uh, he's done NCSY's Torah on a foot, and he's the author of five books, including the Sneas book, the Tarya Companion, and um, really everything that um, Rabbi Bramowitz says and writes about is always so reasonable and balanced and well-explained. And um, so the other day on Facebook, I saw him in a Power Ranger costume, in a green Power Ranger suit, and he posted that he was on his way to Comic-Con, and I said, oh my goodness, what is going on here? This is fabulous. Um, let's bring you on the show and talk about it. So, Rabbi Bromwitz, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thank you for having me. So, can you just give our listeners a little bit of a background? Um, so, as I said, you didn't grow up observant. Um, are you a lifelong comic book fan or nerd? Now, it's not an offensive to call someone a nerd because that's cool. So, how did your interest in you know sort of this topic uh, begin? Well, ever since I was very young, I was a voracious reader. Uh, when I first started school, I, I could already uh, read a little bit, which apparently most kids couldn't because I was some sort of sideshow attraction <laughs> where uh, the, the different teachers in the, the you know, preschool grades would uh, you know, shuttle me from class to class to like show off my mad reading skills. So I, I guess that was uh, precocious or something. So uh, I read everything, you know, prose and uh, also comics. And um, 
So I've been been reading them my entire life, and I happen generationally to be in the uh, the sweet spot because traditionally in the 50s and 60s and previous generations, uh, the the idea was that the average age of a reader was 10, and they could actually like you know, redo story ideas because you know three years, four years later, you're going to have a whole new readership. But in the 80s, they really started making them for adults with things like The Dark Knight and Watchmen. I mean, you just look at all the comic book movies that are that are coming out now, which are clearly aimed at adults. Uh, so they they made a change in in those days to try and keep their readership. So as I was in high school, the age at which you know, people would normally be aging out, uh, they were actually changing the medium in order to keep their readers much longer into uh, to adulthood. So uh, so yeah, I've been uh, sticking with it. Obviously, the uh, tastes change. But it's it's just a it's a medium, you know. It's it's not a genre. It's a medium. So it's like saying, you know, well, you know, what do you watch TV for? What do you listen to music for? You know, what do you go to movies for? Well, there's all types of TV shows and types of music and movies. So similarly, comics are just a format in which information, fiction and nonfiction, can be provided. And uh, you know, so there's there's everything. You know, there's got. Uh, science fiction, superhero comics, obviously, uh, romance, true life, uh, a lot of biographies. Uh, there's a series I was just talking to somebody about yesterday called Action Philosophers. And what they do is they, they teach philosophy of all the different, all the different uh, schools of thought and the famous philosophers of history. I actually saw the creators of this comic at, uh, at Comic-Con. Mm. And uh, the I, I bought one of their, their books, a hardcover collection of the comics. And the artist asked me you know, who my favorite philosopher was. And I said, "Well, do you mean like you know from the stories you've done in the in the uh, the series, or do you mean in real life?" I said, "In the series, I'd have to think about it, but in real life, you know, Wittgenstein." And uh, you know, he's like, "Oh," and I sketched a picture of uh, his caricature of uh, Wittgenstein inside the the cover of the book I was buying. So uh, that's that's uh, you know, again, absolutely anything is available in that format. But for some reason, in most people's minds, you know, words are literature and pictures are art, and you put them together, it's trash, and it doesn't have to be that way. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so that's how you got into the comic book genre. It's always interesting to hear people that are into things that are not I'm not into specifically, but I, I love being able to publicize this because we certainly have comic book fans and listeners out there, and it's so it's so wonderful for them to see that this could fit into you know the, an observant life. So that's your comic book side of you. Now tell us about the the uh, religious Jewish side of you. You're now a black hat wearing rabbi. You you lean more towards the center, but you're still a black hat, uh, you know, Orthodox rabbi. So, how did this? Uh, well, my know, my wife calls us modern yeshivish okay. uh, because if you see me on Shabbos, yeah, I'll be having the black hat and uh, you know, pretty pretty right wing look, and uh, you know, uh, hashkafically, you know, philosophy. Uh, we're we're pretty right wing in terms of of that. Uh, but also, you know, we, we have a television and uh, we have internet connection in our home. And if you see me during the week, I'm wearing a colored shirt and, as you said, a Green Ranger costume to Comic-Con. Okay. Uh, so basically the, the modern look at us and they say they're yeshivish. The yeshivish look at us and they say they're modern. So we're, we're modern yeshivish. Excellent. Um, yeah, so tell so, us about so your was, spiritual your journey. When, how, why did, did you become observant? What were you raised in and, and when and how and why did you uh, adopt an observant life? Well, I was raised reform. And uh, even even then, I had more background, and my family was more observant than the other people in the ten- in the temple we belonged to. Uh, so, for example, you know, we were quote unquote kosher in the home. So, you know, our house was kosher, even though we would you know, go out to fast food restaurants and such. Um, and Passover, you know, was was certainly very strictly uh, kept as far as that. And it was a, very much a function of my mother's upbringing, which was more traditional. 
And when I was in, oh, I guess about fifth grade, uh, my parents started going to a small Orthodox temple in in our uh, community. Um, it was uh, not not the most right wing place. Uh, I, I would call it more now conservadox. It kind of like straddled that line. Uh, but still, it was a big change, and, and that was because uh, they had gotten a little involved with Chabad, the uh, Lubavitch movement. Uh, fourth grade, fifth grade, I went to uh, Chabad summer camps, etc. Um, and it was interesting, and, and you know, we were still uh, involved with uh, the, the community from one side, but we were also being influenced by the other side. Um, so that was pretty pretty static until I was around eighth grade. And then we got NCSY in that conservadox uh, synagogue that I belong to. And that really... That was sort of like my flavor. Uh, I got very into NCSY, which is the youth movement of the Orthodox Union, and it's it's an outreach program. So even though it's under Orthodox auspices, most of the people who who belong come from a variety of backgrounds, and just you, you meet all different types of people there. So it's not like they're they're in lockstep in terms of their their observance or their philosophy, etc. But I happen to gravitate towards some people who. Who had a philosophy that that was you know much more along uh, like I said what spoke to me my flavor and uh, because of that uh, middle of eighth grade I switched from public school to Hank the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County uh, which was funny because my my family had uh, my parents had taken me to see Hank the year before and I wasn't really sure why would I want to switch schools I don't know these people etc I, I didn't have the the zeal to be in the Jewish environment, but after you know, even just half a year of NCSY, it was really lighting a fire in me. It was it was really you know, hitting on all the right uh, the right marks, and I switched to Hank, and uh, I, I did fairly well, I guess. I went to Yeshiva in Israel after uh, after high school. I went to Yeshiva University, and as I say, the rest is uh, rest is history. So it was really just a question of of finding the people who were presenting the material in the way that best resonated with me. And uh, that's, that's what I did. So the, the just right of center approach was, uh, was exactly right for, for me. So how about the old you and the new you? Was there ever any fear or doubts or you know, uncertainty about how you could blend some of your interests with this Torah-observant life? I don't think it's necessarily a question of an old person and a new person. I don't think one like really changes. I think you are who you are. And I think that you, you take your personality with you throughout your life journey. So as you make whatever lifestyle changes, you're still you. Uh, it's sort of like, let's say somebody has bad study habits, and you know finals are coming or the MCATs are coming or, or whatever you know motivating milestone is approaching, and they say, you know what, I really have to buckle down. So then they start hitting the books, they cut out the partying and everything else that's a distraction, and their grades go up. So, well, let's say they also enjoy a good steak. You know, there's no reason to stop doing the good steak just because they've improved their study habits. Now, if the steak is a distraction and you feel that you're not going to be able to do well on your tests unless you stop going to steakhouses every night, that's something else. But if you're an average person who just enjoys a good steak, then, yeah, cut out the partying every night, concentrate on your work, and have your weekly steak. Uh, so that's, it's sort of like that. So if there was one aspect of my life that I evaluated and I said, you know what, I prefer A to B, that doesn't necessarily have to affect C and D. Mm -hmm. It might, uh, or you could choose to have it, but it's a separate compartment. So, like I said, just when, when you make choices 
in one area of life, it doesn't necessarily have to affect others, and I don't think it changes one's personality. I think if somebody's rigid, they're going to stay rigid. I think if somebody's easygoing, they're going to stay easygoing, and uh, you are who you are. It's just a question of decisions you make, and as you go through life, you're always going to have to make decisions, you know, college and jobs and family and everything else. So it's a very reasonable answer because you really, like I said, everything I see you write about always has such a regional perspective, but there is the stereotypical Balchuva that loses themselves in the observant process. I mean, I've met them. I'm sure you've met them before. There are people that, for some reason, don't retain their personality and their interests, and I think it's, it's a problem, right? I'm saying, like, not everybody is able to do this. I think it's a question of who you're exposed to and what approach speaks to you. There are certainly communities uh, that are more insular, that uh, shun outside activities and outside influences and and just people who are not in their thing and if, if someone is attracted to that approach then that might be the way that speaks to them it, it was never the way that that spoke to me and my wife and and the circles that we choose to uh, to affiliate with so there are people i mean for example there there are people who would tell a convert you know not to have you know any contact with uh, with their family because they'd be a bad influence religiously i don't agree with that I think it's unrealistic. I think it's potentially damaging. It's not my approach. But for some people, that is their approach. Uh, same thing with, with non-religious uh, relatives. You know, do, you, do you minimize you know, contact you know, for fear of how you know, they'll, they'll talk to your kids? You know, I, I don't feel that way. There are people who feel that way, and, and people who gravitate towards that kind of philosophy are going to make those decisions. But I don't think that these are, are necessarily halakhic uh, decisions. I think they're they're not matters of Jewish law. Like Jewish law requires, if you want to be religious, you can't go out on Friday nights you know, in the car. You can't go to a Friday night movie and, and then for a drink. It's not going to happen. You know, you can't eat at McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's and all these places. It's not allowed. It's just you know that's that's you know not a discussion. But uh, there are other things that that I don't think are so cut and dry. Is this a question of permissibility or impermissibility? It's a question of how do I feel or how does it make me feel. So if it's something that you feel brings you up, it's a good thing. If it's something that you feel brings you down, it's a bad thing. So these are the places where people make their decisions. If someone feels you know, more spiritually elevated or more connected to their community because they only wear black pants and white shirts, then okay, fine. You know, I have no problem with that. If they feel it's more appropriate as uh, you know, befitting their, their station in life, great. Okay, that's, that's your decision to make. But there's no law that says thou shalt not wear a blue shirt. So it's it's really just a question of of personal comforts and preferences and and that's the thing with the music and the uh, the TV and you know, the internet and other things. I think that that a lot of it has to do with what does a person feel helps him get from point A to point B, and is this something that's going to hinder or is this something that's going to be a wash or is this thing that's going to be positive? Got it. Do you have any stories or any interactions where? You being the Orthodox Jew in Comic Con has made people notice, or you somehow stick out, or you know had any interesting interactions, or you being the Power Ranger um, rabbi in the Jewish circles has made people notice or wonder. Any time where the blending of the two worlds, people notice that you were a little bit different than everyone else, that caused people well, to ask you about it or break down stereotypes or. It's it's interesting because. I'm more self-conscious about it than anybody else you know, looking at me is going to be because I don't know what's going on in other people's minds. I don't know who comes in with what preconceptions and what baggage. I know I'm just me. I'm a guy. 
you know, but you know, everyone else is there, and they're just them. They're a guy. And so it's a, actually Comic Con to, to use that as the, uh, as the touchstone for this is, if anything, a very open community. I mean, first of all, these are a lot of people who are used to being on the outskirts in mainstream, because you used the word nerds before. So there are people here who are all sorts of science fiction nerds and comic book nerds and people who are really into certain things that, granted, it's far more mainstream than it used to be, but they always show Comic-Con on TV and they're all the people in costumes. And, and you know, it's because it's for the amusement of the overwhelming masses who don't get it. Um, so I think that, that already it's a much more open and accepting environment than you would normally find. But uh, you know, certain people... They can't turn it off. If you're if you're of a certain race and you go out in public, you know what? Everyone can see you're of that race. So whether you're black or white, uh, Hispanic or, or Asian or, or whatever, I should have said Latino to be more politically correct. But if you're if you're whatever race, you go out into public, people are going to look at you, and if they have whatever preconceived baggage, they're going to bring that with them, and you can't control that. It's the same thing with being Jewish. So. Could I take my yarmulke off and stick it in my pocket? Yeah, I could. Somehow, I don't think I pass. I think I think I, I always love you see the people on the on the train. They've got like you know the uh, the very religious clothes with a ball cap, and like I assume they know that everyone can still tell they're from Jew, you because the ball cap is not a disguise. Uh, so I'm walking around Comic Con. I've got my beard. I've got my yarmulke. I originally intended to keep my Power Ranger helmet on the whole time just for the uh, for similitude of the costume. But it was it was too difficult to see and breathe, and I like seeing and breathing. So I decided to you know carry it under my arm most of the time. I only would put it on if someone asked to take a picture of me, and uh, you know so everyone could see I was an Orthodox Jew because I was wearing a yarmulke. I wasn't the only one. I saw a number of, of Orthodox Jews with little kids and you know families walking around. Hmm. And does anyone you know, bagel you? Was anyone being... like Shalom Rabbi? Did you get any of those or? Uh, no, I didn't hear. Yeah, you know, sometimes I get that on the streets, and you never know if they're being sincere or if they're being sarcastic. Right. Uh, because you know, again, that, that's I think more our our self consciousness than than the intention in anyone else. Uh, but no, I mean people were friendly to me like they were to anybody else. I didn't get into any uh, Middle East based scuffles. Right. Uh, so yeah, I just went around my business and uh, you know bought what I was going to buy and had things signed by people I was going to have them signed by, and posed for a few pictures. Uh, so yeah, it was like anybody else, just because it's a very very friendly and accepting community. Um, but you know, in, in life, you know, let's say if I go to a concert, I got my yarmulke on, you know, people can tell. Um, I, I don't think it's that big a discussion point. I live in New York City. <laughs> We're all over the place. So I guess I guess it's good that people can see that we have other interests and we're not, uh, uh, you know, sitting uh, in our ghetto. We're out in the world. But uh, I, I, don't think, I don't think other people think about it nearly as much as we do. Right, for sure. Thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story and showing people that, you know, the, the lines of where, you know, sort of Jewish law can be stretched to and the interests um, and the hobbies can be more broad than people realize it was. And uh, we look forward to having you on again. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. And up next, sticking along with this theme of Bali Chuva who retain their personality, their out-of-the-box interests after they become observant, we have someone named Elad Nehrai. You may know him as the blogger Pop Chassid. His more recent project is Hevria. Elad, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. So if you could let our uh, listeners know if they haven't seen Hevria before or they didn't read too much about it, what is Hevria? Why did you start it? What do you hope to accomplish through it? Sure. Um, when I uh, started working on Pop Chassid, I 
part of the reason I did it was because <laughs> I couldn't get published anywhere, um, for better or for worse, because I, you know, it could be because I was a bad writer, it's a possibility, um, but I, I, I felt as if, um, you know, there were, you know, there were the things that I wanted to write about and the way that I wanted to write them uh, were not interesting to the people that I was reaching out to, and, and I was actually getting published somewhere, and I started getting rejected by them the more that I became out of the box, in a sense. And um, so I started, I started my blog, um, and what I noticed as time went on uh, was that there were others who were incredibly talented writers, incredibly soulful people, uh, incredibly artistic people, and especially after I moved to Crown Heights um, and started connecting with the people in New York, like Matthew Roth, um, I don't know, uh, you know, he's another one of those, Bali Chuba, who is, you know, forging his own path and, and being extremely creative. He, we connected and immediately had a very strong bond. Um, Saul Sudin, um, who runs Jewish Art Now, and like just a lot of really incredible social people I started to connect to, and I started to see that they also had the same feeling as me in whatever community they were a part of, whether it was, you know, in Crown Heights or outside of, you know, or in other places in New York. Um, and what I noticed, especially, was on my blog itself, was just a feeling of discontent that, um, especially when I would write about my own discontent, um, all of a sudden there would be a huge response. Like, I wrote a post called, um, it's a Balshuva's job to rebel against the Orthodox world. And that was probably, like, you know, it's not often that a post with such a niche subject gets, like, I don't know, some ridiculous amount of shares, like thousands of shares, um, but that, that that's what happened. And and I remember thinking as as time went on that uh, I remember realizing two things. Number one, I had only so much power as a blogger, and and you know I was starting to reach an audience that wasn't just Jewish, and so I really wanted to serve the Jewish audience, and especially this particular community that was not being served. It's a community that wasn't a community, a community that doesn't exist, um, or that wasn't existing at the time. Um, it You're saying a community of Jewish artists or people that don't quite fit into the box, that sort of a thing? or Yeah, yeah, that's that sort of thing. Like, I mean, it was very hard to define at the time. Anyway, and so the second thing I realized was, was what you're describing, was that there is this community that needs to be served and that they'll be, will be much stronger together, and that by um, making an outlet specifically for such people, um, we can start to really strengthen those people in that community. Um, and so that's how the brief came around, was because I, it was kind of like this organic realization on my part um, that I realized I was serving them less and less on my own blog and, and that even on my own it wasn't enough, and that by en en empowering and enabling um, some incredible writers to join a site like ours, you know, we could start that process of really building a community um, that would hopefully start to take root within the Jewish world. So on one hand, it's to be able to say things that might be unpopular or might sort of challenge, you know, the conformity or, you know, fight against the man, that sort of thing. But there's also the element that you have events, right? Like you have concerts and you have art openings and you have, you're gathering these artists together to make art as Jews, right? And is that also part of it? Um, yeah, I mean, I like just to clarify. I mean, I, I don't think our goal is to, to fight the man. I think that uh, the man, as it were, just doesn't uh, have a place for many of us. 
uh, right now. And so um, it's not about fighting. Um, I would say it's about um, creating a space. And um, one thing that I realized actually was that you're right. It's, it's, it is about we just started creating events. And, um, you know, it's funny because I, I tend to bring up the atheist movement a lot when I talk about Ibria because the atheist movement uh, kind of typifies what I'm trying to do with Ibria. Atheist movement essentially took off because of the Internet. Um, the reason it's so popular now is because there were a lot of guys who lived alone in some small town, let's say the South or something, and they would be, uh, they would, they would feel like if they spoke up that they would um, be ostracized from their community. Um, and so they started to, once the Internet came around, they started to band together. And what eventually happened was it went from being a virtual thing, which was very popular, to a physical thing. Now they have, like, conventions, and they have this, and they have that, and they have leaders. Really? Blah, blah, blah. Atheist conventions? And, yeah. Yes, yes, big ones. Like, big, big ones. Yeah, like, hardcore. Um, there, it's a huge movement now. Like, um, you know, obviously it's become more popular in general, but I'm saying the movement itself, um, and the people are, like, strongly in favor of it and that sort of thing. So the, I actually model it I, after that. It's basically any movement online kind of takes this, this form. It starts off virtual, and then it becomes physical. And so when we had our first event, literally um, literally a week ago, actually, exactly a week ago, um, Wednesday night last week, um, we had a, um, we, it was the first event we had ever had, and it was incredible. It was incredible because Rachel Can, who is one of our writers, performed, and it was just, you know, you could tell everyone was, like, in rapture listening to her. And you could tell that immediately everyone felt like family there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like as if this, com- you know, it was just an incredible experience because we had gone from the Internet to the real world. And But you and already, there was, was already a little bit of a level. community within Crown Heights of artists that you had been involved with, like, before Hevria came to life, right? I'm saying you were doing... Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and concerts and... Like and I said, you- I mean... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I'm saying you had, like, I feel like I see stuff on Facebook sometimes, like open mic nights. I'm saying you were already organizing, but this more just, like, gelled that community of artists into something more official. Is that correct, or are they two separate things, or? Well, okay, so the truth is that, um, you know, I was, I was actually, I was extremely jaded for a while because I tried to do these events in Crown Heights, and they had varying degrees of success um, because I think most people didn't really get it um, because, you know, it, it wasn't a community then. It, I was trying to do it kind of backwards. I was trying to start from the physical and, um, and that sort of thing. And so there would be a lot of people that went, for example, thinking that it was going to be like a party. Mm-hmm. You know, because, and, or they thought, like, oh, you know, we're going against the establishment, which is really not what we're about. Um, so there were a lot of things that were kind of, quote-unquote, wrong with what happened um, with those open mics. I was actually quite unhappy towards the end. I became very cynical about it. Hmm. And what gave me hope again was Hivria. Um, mm-hmm. So it was actually very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's actually a part of the narrative. Um, interesting. So and look, I think at you in the city, we've done something yeah. similar. Like we kind of put out this idea mm-hmm. that we want to collect or sort of start speaking about the Jews who are growth-oriented and spiritual, but open-minded and integrated, and that we found this community has formed online, and then we do in-person events, and I think people also want to meet each other. Right. The truth is that, like, I, 
I guess I'm an artist to an extent because I write and I make films, but I don't like think of myself as like the artsiest artist. But <laughs> when people come to us and are artists and observant and are looking for a community, I just send them straight to you. I'm not sure yeah. if you've gotten any of those uh, emails or heard from people, but oh wow, yeah, no, it's really so That's fabulous um, that you know you've put this together because I think a lot of people want to express themselves and be creative and you know find a way to you know have a community of people to do that with have you heard any feedback I'm sure you have and I, I hate when people ask me these questions can you tell me any stories but any stories of anyone that's come to you that felt like they kinda didn't have a place in the orthodox community being so creative or so out of the box and you know that Hevria gave them that space to be themselves more yeah um well, there's a lot of people like that. I mean, I think, I think, you know, the majority of the people that have come to us have, have experienced that to a certain degree. We've gotten a lot of messages from people saying, like, you know, you, you changed my life, you, and you feel like there's a place for me in Judaism. Um, but the thing, you know, one thing that really <laughs> will always stick with me, and she's one of our most loyal readers, and, you know, obviously I have to keep her anonymous. She's, um, she's a shulcha. In um, she was a shocha, and I can't remember obviously, but and a shocha meaning I don't know for your for your listeners and people don't know a shocha meaning a chabad rebbeton. Okay. Um, she was feeling very alone. Actually, she was feeling like uh, for many reasons, you know, beyond just her 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 service for the chabad community or service for chabad, she felt. Stifled, you know, she felt like she didn't, um, you know, as much as she was serving the Jewish community, she felt like there was a part of her that wasn't being addressed, that wasn't being um, heard, you know, by the leaders that she was connected to, by the, you know, uh, the people that she was serving. Just in general, she felt extremely alone, extremely alone. And I think someone in such a leadership position um, trying to take on such a role um, it, it's almost like, you know, take whatever difficulty anyone has and, and, and you um, make it exponential, and that's what they're going through. Um, and it's amazing. I've gotten multiple messages from her. She'll write, write to me about, like, an article, one of the posts I've written, one of the posts someone else has written, and she'll just, you know, and every time she'll write something about it, but every time the message is, I don't feel alone. Thank you. Mm. You know, and Beautiful. to me that's, like, incredible. <laughs> Because I look up to those people, and so and so when, you know, one of them comes to me and thanks me, you know, for that, then I'm I'm blown away. Um, I'm, I'm really sorry, we're out of time now, but thank you so much for no what problem. you're doing. For uh, you're changing the world. You're giving people a voice in a community, and um, we look forward to seeing uh, many more. Uh, posts and you know online uh, stuff happening, and uh, more of the physical in-person events. And thank you so much, and have a great day. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Please join us next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye.